Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and today I have the pleasure of uh, having Lawrence Kampf on the podcast. Welcome, Lawrence. Thank you very much, Amit. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you. Uh, one of the things that I, I would love to circle today uh, in our conversation was something that came up in our last conversation, and that is the, the negative principle. It is, has something to do with uh, transformation, which is sort of the, the business that both you and I seem to be mm -hmm. in. Um, mm -hmm. And also art um, or, or uh, technologies, psychotechnologies or technologies that, that would be invoking or evoking emotions, I think, that, that can allow mm -hmm for us to move, which is um, at least part of what I think we need to do at the moment to create movement, to be moved rather than mm -hmm. to do movement. Mm. So I'll just put that out as a, as a light frame for our, uh, for our conversation, at least my curiosity, and then we'll see where it takes us. Um, but I'll, I'll start like I tend to normally do um, in these conversations with a very interesting question that you're open to interpret as you wish. And that would be, uh, who are you, Lawrence Kampf? Ooh. Wow. I think that which is manifest as Lawrence currently in the sphere is um, a, a distinct region of, of the field of consciousness that functions as an identity more or less most of the time. Uh, American by birth and citizenship. I live in Western Croatia, an area known as Istria, a little ancient hill town. Looks very much like a spot in Tuscany. This, this area actually was Italy for quite a long time and Venice before that. And, um, you know, as you say, my, my work is in transformation. I'm, uh, I think you could say I'm a facilitator of transformation. I come very much from the art world, uh, performing arts and theater in particular, although a lot of my work in recent years is uh, in leadership development and uh, helping people, helping organizations and helping working groups and sometimes even helping products uh, through their own transformational process recognize uh, the transformation of foot and learn to participate it, in it in a good way, in an effective way. And um, I think that uh, conversation we had about art and touching into the negative space, you know, the negative principle, I'm not entirely sure those are the same thing. Um, yeah, that sparked some things for me too. Sometimes what's most important is what we don't see. and. Um, uh, yeah, there's a, in terms of a, who am I? I think that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> nice. When something around, when, when you say that you come from an artistic, um, background, mm -hmm. the performance arts, like how, what has been your journey into, into working with transformation? Has how did you come to, to do that? <laughs> ah. Well, it was a, 
I think a realization in retrospect, that's, that's what I was doing. Um, I think I had a classic spiritual experience when I was in my teens in the theater and, you know, the whole column of white light, the whole bit. And I still remember it very clearly, even to this moment. Uh, and it changed me. And from that point, I was drawn to the performing arts in a, with a hunger. You know, there's an old saying that one who seeks enlightenment must uh, seek it like one whose hair is on fire seeks a pond. <laughs> and I think there was a little bit of that. It was, it was a kind of a ravenous hunger, especially at that time in my life, which was actually a fairly, fairly dark point. Maybe I was 18 or 19, 19, I think. And um, I, at that time, recognized it as theater. That, that's what I saw as being the kind of the relevant um, situation. So I was drawn to theater and I was drawn to, in particular, directing. I was more of a back of house person than a front of house person. I did a little bit of acting and a little bit of, you know, that sort of thing just to try it out. But for the most part, I was most interested in directing and design and the, the, the gestalt of, of what it took to bring theater into, the, into existence and to bring these stories and these ideas and these visions into, into existence to, mm. to truly create and to create in a, in a team context. Because, you know, it's one thing to create your own work individually, but when you get into a group, especially a group that's so diverse and highly coordinated and constrained as a, as a large-scale commercial theater project like Broadway or Cirque du Soleil or something like that, um, boy, it takes everybody out of their comfort zones in a very effective manner. <laughs> So it really is uh, a kind of a turbo transformational sort of experience for all of us. And there's also a very, a very distinct and rational meeting of where the rubber hits the road and bringing all of these experiences and these energies into a very tangible and very um, ostensibly predictable format of this, this many minutes, this many hours, this much technology, this location, you know, tickets sold for opening night and all of that. So, I found my way into theater consulting, which was really looking at the design of the theater process and, and how it manifests in architecture. So I'd work with a lot of architects and a lot of you know, large-scale general contractors in places like New York and Vegas and Macau and building theaters for people like Cirque du Soleil, um, you know, helping Lion King reinvent their show in Toronto and things like that. So it had a lot of busyness of the business of of theater and the and the magic of theater as it manifests in that kind of glamorous environment but still i very much felt like every seat in the theater that was improved or or there because of my efforts was that one more possibility of someone else having the kind of experience i had and i wasn't honestly aware of this for probably 10 years and then one day i realized oh that's why i'm doing this <laughs> mm. and um so, and that enabled me to kind of take a different approach to it because it's a lot easier to, to facilitate that kind of work when you don't have to build a building in order to do it. But, um, but the practicalities of bringing this, this sort of deeply transformational and, and spiritual experience into a very practical format, you know, for the benefit and the potential experience of others uh, was to me a very kind of complete experience. And I, and I thought that that was... Um, that was very rewarding and also um, a lot. 
a lot of stress, a lot of busyness to touch on the beginning of our conversation and um, an opportunity to, I think, get a, a, a sampling of a very broad spectrum of experiences that I can then distill down into something that was more nuanced and more spacious hmm. as I got older and more mature and my work developed and my practice developed. That's really interesting. <laughs> so it's kind uh, of a big dump for uh, an entry question, but I appreciate that. But it, it, it does, it's, it's cool because I'm just going to kind of mirror back a couple of things that I thought I heard mm -hmm. and, and that played, played something in me. Um, one of the things was that it seems in like, theater, I've never worked in theater. I, I was in music mm -hmm. um, and I was in music also more or less unconsciously. Like I didn't, I, I did that um, for a while. Mm -hmm. And after, now looking back, now looking back, like on, on the experience that I had 25 years ago, it was, I'm starting to see certain patterns or, or things or, or yeah, patterns that were present. Um, mm -hmm. And yet, but it seems like there is, there's almost like uh, this, the theater, the production and, and that type of, of universe. It's like you, you get to iterate on something mm -hmm. which holds a lot of the components of, of uh, let's say, any process or any, any life, if you will. Uh, even because you have have a, a conception phase and then a birth phase and then actually like shaping phase and coming into relationship and then coming out. And then I thought I heard you say that this part of the the building as well, that, that you, you had to deal also in the materiality of, Very much. of things and then how excruciatingly so <laughs> because I've, I mean, I have a background in, in materials technology and I think mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I really don't want to leave yet because of how I see it's so important to take into account the, the materiality, like the, the right. actual affordances that are there, like the, the system as it is, right. the incentives as they are working, the the, the restrictions, like the, the type of machinery that people are, like it's very tangible. Um, Physics is real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but and and then because I think also in, in the uh, in the theater. Now I'm just kind of guessing, but it feels to me like the way that I've seen it, it's, or the way that I've consumed theater up until recently has mm -hmm. been looking at what's, what's on the stage, like what's being displayed. Um, and, and there seems to be more there. I mean, there's so much background and so much framing and so much um, space. Yeah. that makes that experience available. And w would you speak to, to that? Is that a relevant, do you think that's a good, good path? <laughs> yeah, okay. You, act cool. you actually touched on something that's really central to my experience, is I believe that as, as good or as interesting or as meaningful as the audience experience is, um, the audience never sees the best parts. The, the audience gets like the secondary effect of theater. It's the, it's the doing of theater that is the, um, I think, the richest part of the experience. And there is, of course, um, viewing theater as part of the doing of theater. But, but 
in the creation of it. You know, you come from a materials perspective. Well, you know, the, the, the materials work that we do, especially in, in Broadway automation, in order to bring this, you know, life-size carbon fiber um, elephant into a room in a very narrow hallway and, you know, dealing with gravity and location and timing and, you know, tuning the loops and automation systems and all kinds of things. It's really becomes fundamentally no different than tuning the timing and the blocking of the movement of people in an expression of, of what is this experience. Mm. And, you know, people like Cirque du Soleil are wonderful to work with because there, there's a, a, underneath it is this transmission of, of something fabulous. It's an offering to transcend the, the um, limited idea of the human experience and offer something larger. And, and it's, it's very overt within that, that culture and within that organization. And, um, and it's a delight to participate in, in helping this be available to others. But, you know, kind of like the negative principle or the negative space, the audience has to infer they have, to, they have to be able to receive the transmission of all of the other people in the theater that are, in many cases, most of them are invisible. You know, whether they're in another room or whether they're wearing, you know, red blacks and they're hidden in the scenery or what. Um, but there's a tremendous number of people behind every moment in theater, whether it's one person on stage or whether it's an entire ensemble number. And, you know, that's... I think there's an opportunity for who is on stage to carry that transmission forward. And you can tell how well they're doing it. And you can also tell how well the transmission is available and tuned for them to share. Mm -hmm. And when you really find a, a, a group that is um, very tuned in their experience and very tuned in the creation of their experience, then it's just life-changing. It's absolutely transformative in a very real way, in a, in a very structural way of understanding the nature of self and, and reality um, to, to witness that. So yeah, people get a, get a good dose in the theater, in their seats, but to participate in that as a creator, as a, as a contributor directly to it and all that goes up, mm -hmm. on up until that point and through that point is, that's a whole other level. It's it's interesting because it becomes. I mean, part of the part of the, the background, if you will, is mm. the fact that it's unseen. You know, but, mm. but but part of it is also that it's extremely visible. Like it is, it's there, but we are not perceiving it. So, you know, it's visible but not seen. It's one of those like expressions that I keep. You know, you, you yeah. if you shift your attention, you have the capacity to see it. However, we usually mm -hmm. don't for one reason or the other because of how we, how the, and I guess that the theater has, and I mean, as well with music shows, you have, have a certain way of directing attention. And mm -hmm. even though there is a focal point, um, it's like you say, that focal point is, is just there because it's carried by all these other things that are at that moment unseen. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that both like the front of house sound technician, you know, is, is incredibly important in creating the experience because that's how you hear or are able to relate directly to what's being communicated. 
and at the same time, like when when we were performing, we had you know monitor techs, like people that are doing the sound just on mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. When that's off, that does something to you and your focus, yeah. and, and you you carry it somewhere else, and so your consciousness mm-hmm. goes and splits mm-hmm. from from what you should be doing, the performance and and the engagement with the crowd. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's also something around that came alive to me is like that that aspect of service. It's like how do you? We're so addicted to the 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 front man or woman. In a way, the superstar, the 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 big name, and yet. All of the other people with their professionality and their skills, and like many times, their much much longer experience and precision in their craft, is um, they're there and they're invisible, and they they are, they have another, maybe another motivation, maybe maybe not, um, but still, it's, it's a different quality of engaging with the work, or, or a different potentially motivation for engaging with the work. And how do you? How, what does it say about our moment if if you would sort of use the theater metaphor and and speak of our addictions and our um, challenges as a society at the moment? Like how, where are we? Because I find I find like we're all climbing, clamoring to be the front man in a way, and that I'm just kind of wanting to to offer an opportunity to say um, maybe there is more life uh, and more joy and more uh, vitality in in stepping out of that particular part of the race. That's a starting point. I would like to back up a half a step and come at it from a little bit different direction from something that you mentioned a little bit ago. The um, the seen and the unseen worlds mm. and how much of the experience is relatively unseen, whether it's just literally not visible, you know, behind closed doors or curtains, or whether it's just something we haven't learned how to see for various reasons. You know, about... I don't know, six or seven years into my, my theater career, I, I, I had a cause to um, begin studying energy medicine and shamanic healing. And I, I learned a lot about the unseen world. And it kept, keeps bringing me back to theater <laughs> mm-hmm. because that's such an important part of what we're all there for or what we can get out of the experience. And... You know, one of the one of the functions is theater is healing. You know, it was prescribed as medicine by the ancient Greeks, and that there's a catharsis that 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 helps us heal in the sense of to become more whole. And you know, the the performances that we experience, you know, in particular performances with humans in them, are mirrors. They help us see things in ourselves and in our our day to day experience, and they help us see what's not there. You know, and and seeing the fabulosity of of uh, you know a major Broadway show and you know a full chorus number. I mean, that's a lot of fabulosity, and it and it shows us what is and is not in our lives. It's not. It, it is also distraction and entertainment, but there's so much more there if we have eyes to see. And I think for the time that we are in a performance, we have an opportunity to practice that seeing in a way that is maybe more personal than if we go and we sit down and take a class. You know, we 
go into a meditation retreat and receive instructions in meditation and instruction on perception. That's different. But when we go and we sit down and, you know, and guar, there's a good one. The heavy metal band that does all the, the, the performative shows with the fake blood and the chainsaws and all that kind of stuff to be in the front row at a guar show and like receiving that transmission of, of fun and craziness and chaos and whatever, you know, threads of human experience that they're presenting there. But we can learn to see in a way that is entirely different and entirely our own, uh, very, very personal. I like that because it seems to point to two things. Like one, the fact that we are stepping into a space where we are just receiving. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just, it, it doesn't, we don't have to come in guarded and we can, we can also kind of let go of our defenses because we're there for the experience. So to say. it's like, mm-hmm. it is a state that we're hoping to kind of tap into as we are there. And then the other part of it would be the fact that it is turned up like to, to 12. The volume is like, just there's so much there that what is subtle i mean even what is subtle is not very subtle like it's 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 amplified enough that we can kind of interact with the undertones that are present in our everyday and it's like i, I don't know i mean i just um, <laughs> there's an old old clip of of jordan peterson i think when he was just coming on the on the into the YouTube fame uh, era when he was talking a lot about uh, life advice for people, and and he says something. The, the the gist of it is that you know it's not your life isn't the vacation, the wonderful vacation to uh, whatever paradise island. Um, what if you can? What if you can just quote quote air quotes here? Get the uh, the ten minutes when you come home and say hi to your kids and spouse, uh, or the dinner. You know, what if you can get that right? What if you can cultivate that level of of presence and and nuance? And like, if you can perceive that nuance and that the awe that is possible um, there as well. And that that's a that's a high practice. It's a really high practice. Maybe the highest. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. If we. Because I have this this intuition and sense, and I also have words around why I think the the negative is so important, but like why what's not there or what's not necessarily perceived, but that is still um, what is not consciously perceived. Why that is so important? Um, but how do you how have you thought about it? How do you work with it? Mm. Well, time, I think, is a great illusion, but, um, but also resource and tool. In particular, uh, when you're blocking a show. By blocking, that, that's a term meaning organizing it out in space on stage. These people go here and move like this, and they shift their space in relationship to other characters as you know, on certain words in the script. And um, and all of that in a in a theater performance or especially in a musical, it's you know when, when you have music and dancing with it, it's called choreography. It's all very 
typically very specifically scripted out, at least in a fundamental way. And then the, the performers have varying degrees of license within that to adjust to, to, to meet the, the, the circumstances because every, every performance is different. Um, but there's something you said a minute ago that I'm actually going to, I think, challenge a little bit or go deeper. You know, the, the idea that when we go see a show, we're sort of passive recipients. Um, I think that's an illusion that a lot of people have, and it's a fun one. But the true, a deeper truth is we're all participating in this experience together. And we might be playing the character of someone who's sitting and, and perceiving themselves as separate from what's happening on stage, but it's actually not true. Ask, ask any performer, which I'm sure you felt, you know, when people walk in, their presence changes things and you can feel them and you can relate to them, you know, in whatever verbal or nonverbal way as, as you're all in the room together. And, uh, I was going somewhere to that. Back up a little bit. <laughs> oh, timing. Yes. So sometimes what is most effective in, in how well a scene works, and by works is like how well it, it, it generates or it catalyzes an experience for someone. Uh, and we can get into the whole definite, deeper definition of art and James Joyce and all of that later. But it, um, you know, what's the scene for? What's it about? What's the show for? You know, it's there. There's a point to it, and there's a there's an idea behind it that the the creative team is trying to communicate. And how well that works, and how well mm-hmm. people get that, depends on a lot of things. And I think to at least as an equal extent on what's not there and the silences between the things, the stillness between movement and the silence between words or musical notes or sounds, the darkness between lighting cues. I look at personally a bit like, like um, poetry. You know, you just dump all the words on, on the page and then you remove every word that doesn't absolutely have to be there. And that's my own approach. And that's, you know, a bit more of a minimalistic approach, obviously, you know, you, you go into Broadway, and, you know, the big choreographed musical numbers is going to be a little different. <laughs> mm-hmm. But even within that, you know, all of that business and all of that motion and saturation, you still have what's not happening, which is at least as important as what is. For us to feel the inner and the outer, the prana and the opana, it's... Um, My personal belief is that what's not there is actually more effective and more important than what is in terms of offering an experience and communicating a shared vision and idea. Because it has, um, yeah, there's, there's a certain, I really appreciate that you, that you made that distinction clear that it's nothing passive about I, I was more said of there's a certain mindset that I was trying to point to which was that you can go mm-hmm. in without the the performance threatening your identity so like a, a lot of your defense mm-hmm. systems are yeah 
down-regulated, I, mm -hmm. I would say. Like you don't necessarily have to have an opinion about it at that moment, you know, that, and I think, I mean, I've seen it also, like you, you will come out of a performance and feel like really full of it. And, and like, mm -hmm. it, you know, there's a lot of vitality. And then you meet somebody and, and they would be, if they would be then saying, no, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. And like, and how that can color your experience then, like mm -hmm. how, how that starts to begin to reshape your own experience, you know, where if you went somewhere and, and saw something wonderful and then you got, read the review the day after of, of that it was terrible, uh, according to that person's particular mm -hmm. opinion, how that kind of taints and changes your experience and just pointing to that that is that's happening. I mean, it's, it is like memories aren't memories. It's not, it's mm -hmm. not, you know, it's, it's reoccurring brain patterns that we are retrieving and retrieving again and then recreating in the moment of retrieval as well. Mm -hmm. And also just to, to verify what you're saying regarding audience energies, like there are certain things, exactly the same show, exactly the same structure. And I mean, I was my, the music that we were doing was, was very pop, like the late, or late 90s, early 2000s type of super choreographed pop uh, shows, you know. Mm -hmm. So we were, there's a lot of, of showmanship to that and, and mm -hmm. lots of choreography and lots of very few moments of, of breathing. But the the art of of creating that arc mm -hmm. and that energy, so that, that oscillation, because you cannot go full on, full blast the whole time. You have to have moments where people can catch their breath and, and come back yeah. and retrieve and, and, and you know lower lower energy points and really you know if you if you're a pop lover you would know that the 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 place when all the lights go dim and then there's just the the number of chairs and the mic stands and, and like you're singing the ballad you know in the mm -hmm. middle of the show and, yeah. and that's that's the the beginning of the end if you will mm -hmm. um, but then the audience does allow for for the same thing to be completely different from like sometimes it's just it's just flows and it's life and you have just just this wide you're just completely captured and in the moment and other days because of reasons you know you are completely caught up in the te techniques of it the just sort of going through the motions and and there's the soul is you don't have access to the same flow i love your term down regulate the defenses but the, and I think you're using that in regards to the audience members. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very apt. You know, we give ourselves permission to be differently. And, you know, for some people, it's they've actually put on more armor. <laughs> I can be guilty of that sometimes. I have a lot of opinions about theater. <laughs> it's it's going to be tough for me to find beginner's mind. Um, but but we give ourselves permission to be ourselves usually. And um, do you think that there's, that's also true to a certain extent in for the performers or for the other participants in the theater experience or music, dance, politics, grocery shopping. I mean, it's all the same thing. Yeah, but but I think so. I, I think so. But I think maybe downregulate isn't isn't necessarily pointing to how it feels mm -hmm. in that sense. It's, mm -hmm. it's more, I would say, more more a persona taking, like stepping into a role or a different mm -hmm. identity mm -hmm. that that becomes available to you. Now I am mm -hmm. the stage person, so certain things are expected of me. 
other things than would be expected of me in the grocery stores. And so then you deliver on, on that. Yeah. Um, and you have permission. permission to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they call it a play. <laughs> it's the actual word. It's actually the actual word. <laughs> it's really interesting. And then, yeah, I mean, it points to something very interesting around, around, uh, we spoke before we started recording about language, mm-hmm. the play, work, life, work, life, balance. What's that? <laughs> play, play, life, balance, play, play, balance, life, life, balance. I mean, it's very interesting how we compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's also very clear when someone plays outside of the container, the, uh, the shared agreement of the container of the show or the performance. And they, can't, and they carry that on into, you know, the bar afterwards or, you know, another part of life, sometimes in a, in a fun way and sometimes not. There's something around that that um, what you were speaking to, or what I the way that I heard it, like the the breath, like the, the in and out, like it's, mm-hmm. it is that cycle again. Like we need to have a dynamism, and there there needs to be an amplitude yeah. mm-hmm. in our life so that we can. And then, of course, like the work life balance is pointing to that. There is maybe a higher intensity in, mm-hmm. in the work, and then there is a lower intensity in the life component of mm-hmm. that, where we'd be doing less and being more, and vice versa. Yeah. But but to realize and or to invite the realization at least or or to taste that um, perspective that 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 level of intensity shift is just an intensity shift and, and there are other ways mm-hmm. of achieving that than than doing it between work and life and also you know, maybe in your relationships at home you want a higher intensity more other times not <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Coming back to that that negative space again is the silence, is the space, is the the in breath, is the the out breath. You can't, you know. The I think something the uh, American business culture is a bit guilty of is they value uh, the constant in breath. You're always building, always growing. You're either growing or you're, or you're dead. <laughs> and um, there's so much value to the out breath to the silence, to the winter, to the darkness. And it's that balance and interplay between them that help us feel alive, help us be able to feel. Because if we don't, we, um, uh, we're kind of like a rubber band or an elastic that has been stretched and has lost all of its spring and we just flatline. And I think all of us get there with our work at some point in this in this transformational world, this uh, change maker world. You know, we all have too many, too many in-breaths that line up at once and we kind of hit the wall and we can't feel anything anymore. We have to reorganize ourselves and go on a retreat and reset whatever it is that we need to do in order to find that, 
that in-breath and out-breath, but there's, it's not just the two, it's the relationship between the two. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. As one of my, uh, a coach of mine, she, she pointed me to, um, <laughs> that the breath has four parts. Mm. There are also the turns, you know, there is mm-hmm. the, however slight there is something, there's a transition, there's a small space between the in and the out mm-hmm. and the in again, something happens in that. Um, breath can actually be circular mm-hmm. and equal in those four seasons, mm-hmm. directions. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga taught me a lot about theater and theater a lot about yoga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's interesting, yeah. Because it it scales so nicely. This this reasoning that we're having, like this mm-hmm. this um, you this type of of amplitude or or like dynamic dy- dynamism that could be available to us if we could live our lives more dynamically and allow that dynamic. And um, what I'm also finding is that, or what I've found in my life repeatedly is that I've. I've been working so hard for something that when that something arrives, I'm so dissipated and so tired and so worn out from all the work that I'm unable to both enjoy it and also to step into it. But like, I really have a pattern of, so for me, I haven't had, had burnout. I haven't had that type of syndrome, but more, more it's been like a self-regulating <laughs> failure mm-hmm. at the end of a lot of cycles of hard work. Mm. Interesting. Um, where, would you I, yeah Sorry. would you say that you're unable to um, to accept or possess the success of the of the fruition of the work because of the the burnout phase part part of it and and the way the words that i'm I'm inhabiting. It's a way to say it, actually. Uh, it's, I wouldn't have said it like that. But um, the way that I would have said it is that because I don't trust that I'm deserving of the, of the success, of the, of the mm-hmm. results, of the consequences, um, I, I tend to go out of my way to, to sabotage for myself. <laughs> so it's like, and be it like a small thing as in like over rehearsing for a show so that when the actual show comes, I have no voice left. Or um, right. whatever it might be, you know, like mm-hmm. it's very, it could be very tangible, but, but that, that pattern is, has been there over a long, and it has to do, definitely connects strongly to mm-hmm. the, the worth aspect of it. So, so yes, what you were saying as well. Mm. For myself, I find that also often I get to the culmination of of a cycle of output, a cycle of, of work. And I'm just numb when it comes to the conclusion, the fruition. So there isn't much of a fruition for me personally. And I can point at architecture as an easy example of that. It takes a lot to build a big building and it has its own timing and its own cycle. And it's very much a living, breathing thing, 
know, the, both the, both the, the, um, the object of the building and the project of the building. But usually I get to opening night and I'm just a husk of a human, completely unable to um, enjoy much of the experience or really to be able to inhabit it very much. I'm just kind of drug along by the momentum of this, this thing that's happening. And I see a lot of that in my coaching clients these days if, you know, for a whole variety of reasons, but also the, uh, a sense of an increasing pace and, and, and degree of, of engagement in life and in work. Things are going faster, getting more complicated, more uncertainty, more difficult, um, you know, lower margins, less time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, how do we, how do we make use of the, of the fruition of a project and be able to accept it and inhabit that? But also how do we um, recover? Mm -hmm. Because I think increasingly we're, we're facing a time of very real recovery. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. What comes up to me very strongly, I'm, I'm reading um, Hyper, or Hyper Objects, a book by, I think, Tim Horton or something like mm -hmm. that. And he's pointing to a pattern uh, in our reality where we are, um, there are hyper objects in our life. Um, mm -hmm. And basically all of it is like you can, if you pick up an orange today, uh, that's a hyper object because it's a result that the, the result of that orange being there was not that you planted a tree and you waited for the tree to grow and took care of it. And then it grew and then, and then mm -hmm. you know, the, but, but it's, it's really a, a supply chain of things that have gotten that orange to be there. So right. that orange contains all of the touches, all of the, all of the, all the moves, corporations, everything. all the marketing, yeah, exactly. all the transportation, all the infrastructure and the chemistry. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'm wondering when you were speaking to that, the architectural piece, like the building a building, it's like, because I've, I've felt it now, we've been renovating a house for, for 11 months or so. And um, there is a way of being, uh, there's a way of identifying with the project that you were undertaking, which means mm -hmm. that you are then you feel that as the project is expanding and taking shape and growing, you have to be fully invested into that growth and, and you have to grow with it. Um, and that has been the stance that I've been taking. And then what I've been finding is that if I can step out of it, meaning that I can trust that the projects, that the hyper object, if you will, like this in this sense, um, that has its own life cycle, its own identity, its mm -hmm. own rhythm. And it's not dependent on mine. Uh, on me sort of filling it out. I don't need to be at the limit of the object itself. I can, mm -hmm. I can just do my part. And then it's more of a timing thing. It's more of that oscillation. Uh, it's more of, of um, stepping in when it's needed and then being very diligent about stepping out. I mean, there's something around like that also wants me to, because that's very salient to me right now, but the, 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 it's a, it's a way of relating healthily to the masculine, like the penetration, like you, you penetrate and then you step out. And then when you do that skillfully, then there's, there's potential for the life to step in and for other people to step in. And, mm -hmm. and because you step out and pull back and recover for yourself, it doesn't necessarily have, it doesn't necessarily mean that the project that you're running isn't getting what it needs. It can mm -hmm. still keep growing in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but it is finding that circularity in the breath in every breath mm -hmm. 
because it's not a phase of breathing in and then a phase of breathing out. Like that's not, it's, it's constant. Yeah. The word that comes up for me listening to your description is embodiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we literally take on the form of, of how, we, how we are in the world. You know, from a psychology standpoint, they call it character armor. It reflects in our posture, it reflects in our breath, and it reflects in our range of motion and, and expressions, these, these experiences. And when we immerse ourselves in, say, a project, then we become an aspect of that project and we reflect that. So there's a very, very close relationship. You know, it's, it's you know, maybe like a family relationship. You know, there's a, there's a tangible, measurable, ob- observable, um, uh, shared aspect that we reflect. Mm-hmm. And then also comes the negative space or the opana, the outbreath, where we have to separate from it. And then there is a process of the, of the stepping out of it and the re-embodiment. Yeah. And sometimes that can be really difficult. And um, shocking. Sometimes it can require some intense healing. You know, sometimes it can require a lot of um, time and space, or a different environment, or nutritional particulars, or exercise. You know, all of those things. You know, there's all kinds of things we can do, body, mind, spirit, to create containers, transformational processes to help us metabolize these experiences. But it's the stepping in, as you say, in the masculine way, to embody in this collective experience and then stepping out to move on to something else. And and there's, um, what comes to mind is dance as well. Because Mm. you can, you can kind of step in, um, in a way where you overextend yourself. And if you lose Mm -hmm. your center, if you, if you're not, you can be fully extended, but still do that from, from your core, from your center, from, from the, Sort of the yeah, I mean, yeah. really, the core is super important, like martial arts. But you keep, you retain, you mm-hmm. keep your balance. But you can you can overextend yourself in the same way if you're not skilled, um, and you will fall because of of you lost you lost center. And so there is something around the the centeredness, or like the decenteredness of our times, or like the centerlessness of our times. Mm-hmm. Like we are we we are tending the field a lot, and we don't seem to be tendering. To the core as much we don't inhabit our core maybe as much as 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 we are and then we believe that as we are tending to the boundary of ourselves um because it feels good it's busy it's fast at the mm-hmm. at the outer edge of the wheel as it's spinning we um we've confused that with with success or like what it means to be um a good healthy person if that's your measure of success or just you know Mm-hmm. but you know and it's it's funny because it's like it is about the space but it isn't about the space in a way like the, the space is there to to hold us but unless we trust that the space the things that we don't do are actually holding us then it, it dilutes our possibility to do to to take shape to, to mm. creative containers i call them same one. Um, my experience is uh, the intersection of the performing arts in the healing arts world led me to create uh, the Nova Earth Institute, which is my current endeavor, 
And essentially, um, we are offering transformation through the creative process, through encountering creativity and the creative impulse within ourselves. It's, it's being a creator is what gives us access in a, in a very real way to our full potential, but also the catalyst <laughs> of that because it, it changes things. And, you know, when we, when we create a container for something to step in and out of, you know, whether the container is um, a contract or a schedule or a design or a, a physical space, you know, you're creating, it, it, we'll, we'll take an event, we'll take a, a, a business meeting, you know, that's all three. There's a, there's a point in an agreement for everyone to share regarding how to participate in that, you know, what's the right way and a wrong way to participate or good way in a, in a not good way. And also there is a degree of agreement about, about the outcome, the desired mm-hmm. outcome. Uh, there's a room to have it in. There's a time to have it in. There's certain elements, you know, the coffee service, the, the lunch breaks, you know, the, where the restroom is, all of those things, they're all part of the container. And if all of those are in place and known and agreed upon, then some real magic can happen. Mm. But if it's not understood and it's not shared as an agreement, if it isn't known or if it is some of those elements are missing, substantially reduce the, what's possible in that moment. So mm-hmm. it's very much a spiritual practice. You know, it's something that I really appreciate about the art of hosting tradition that's particularly strong in, in Europe is understanding that this, this, in, this creative container of human encounters is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And it's a healing practice. And it also has effect on the environment around us. And, you know, boy, if you really want to start ex- getting out there into like, you know, lineage karma and, and collective healing, you do something like that with, say, uh, a healthcare organization. And, you know, and industries will carry lineage traumas. And certainly the healthcare industry, in particular in the U.S., where it's so profit motivated and has its own dark side accesses energies in the collective field that is a whole level above and beyond or several levels above and beyond what is explicitly stated on the paper <laughs> for any kind of contract or, or um, more pedestrian agreement. And this is something that people are working with without necessarily understanding. You know, maybe they can feel it, but they may not understand it in a, in a deeper level from the perspective of someone who is intentionally facilitating transformation but it's very much a a part of the process and it's at play so i'm getting pretty pretty far out in the orbit here (laughs) this conversation Mm -hmm. but but your comment about you know the the container really really sparked that for me and how important it is and how potent it is something so simple as being present in your own space grounding for me grounding is is really a fundamental um medicine both technique skill and capacity to be present in your own space yeah because because you know when you ground you uh it allows the current to flow through you that right doesn't burn you right in a very again physics is real right right when you have a switch mode power supply and it's not grounded well the computer shuts down and humans are electrical beings. Yeah. 
one of the things I love to do to demonstrate grounding to people that aren't familiar with that topic or are new to seeing the world through energetic lenses is I ask for a, uh, if it's an in-person event, I ask for a, a volunteer and they stand up and, you know, we begin talking, have a conversation and give them lots of intellectual pieces to, to think about. And then I give them a little fall right over. <laughs> and then I'll say, okay, now prepare yourself. And I'll describe more kinds of things and they'll prepare themselves and they'll brace themselves and they'll, and they'll fall right over. And then I'll, I'll walk them through a brief process of feeling the breath, feeling the body, feeling their space, and actually consciously visualizing the energy of their consciousness and of their physical body in the space and organizing it in a way that is true and unique to them. And then I'll do this, and the whole body will just ripple gently, firmly rooted, completely unshakable. And then the laughter starts. <laughs> so it's interesting because it's also around sort of which it's like where are you where are you bracing so to say like how do you mm -hmm. what what is the where is the where, where is it important to hold your ground then again language is funny yeah um but is it, you know, is it is it your contact with the earth um, that gives you a certain affordance for for shifting and moving, or or is it that you need to keep uh, is your ideal to stay rigid, all of you? Do you need to mm. be completely, you know, intact and frozen and and, and stuck mm -hmm. um, in that way? And and what do you value? And f for me, at least, it's been a very deep practice that I was introduced to early because I was, because of the music business, there was a lot of conflict mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. well. And especially a lot of discussion around money. And so oh, yeah. I had to, we had to find a way of, of looking at like, what's important. Like, are we, are we focusing on the end? Like where, where are the points where we can yield where it costs us nothing? So, I mean, it's, it's there in like mm -hmm. any negotiations book that you will take a look at or, or whatever it might be. But, um, but it's just that aspect of like what, what <laughs> it even goes, it's Batesonian even. It's like, what are the differences that make the difference? Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what, which ones can I just let go? Because they have no value. They hold no value to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be principled, uh, but not dogmatic, um, mm -hmm. to, to know the difference. Yeah. It's a balance of the masculine and feminine. You know, where do you hold your boundaries and where do you, flow and accommodate and the boundaries that are important to you how can we make them visible as early as possible in the process because you are it's not a tactic it's genuinely so that you will not yield on them those are actual real deal breakers and so it's so funny we're, we're moving in esoteric words and, and we are also like it's, it's so tangible to me as well as i as we're talking about it, like these, these things, like these topics of like negotiations or like running a business meeting or a team or mm -hmm. whatever it might be, they're here as well mm -hmm. in all of what we're saying, like all of the stuff that sounds ungrounded. I mean, if, mm -hmm. you, if you practice it, it, it's tangible. It becomes very grounded. It becomes the essence of the ground. I mean, we both do a lot of leadership development and support work. and and 
I'm continually uh, amazed and delighted at how um, when people learn about subtle energies and about um, awareness and agreements and things like that, creative containers and ground, um, it fundamentally changes their ability to um, have impact and to have health and wellness and happiness and uh, uh, a shared experience and in general be effective in their work and successful in their endeavors. Um, power dynamics, you know, energy is power. And it comes down to how is, how is the energy used here and how do we help it flow in a way that in a good way to use the native American saying, um, but what is that? And is that a good way for me individually or a good way for a collective, whether it's for my team, my side, or for all players, all stakeholders, mm -hmm. is that we are increasingly seeing a movement toward in the business world from a very profit-centric, cutthroat kind of perspective to one that is much more of a shared you know, collective field of, of benefit, mm -hmm. recognizing that it is an ecosystem we're operating in. And there's something, there's also something around um, how, how it's this perception piece because it, it does, as we ground and we're exposed to a stress, you know, then um, it doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, if you're, because I, I mean, I used to sing a lot and, and then there was this, it was working to to increase my range, mm -hmm. and so as you're doing it, then you have a certain muscular memory, and, and like there was a certain feeling of like a certain amount of strain that was required of me to take a specific note. Mm -hmm. And then as your range increases, um, there, that strain isn't there, and so then frequently I would just overshoot and, and go go sharp. And so it, there's something to that, like as well, which is. If we are, when we are engaging with these practices and when we are transforming, then it also means that the specific uh, sensation that was connected to a certain type of win or a certain type of, of behavior or outcome or tension, even in mm -hmm. the organization, is going to feel different to us. Yeah. And so there is a, an interaction there around our, our sensing. Mm -hmm. um, or, or information intake from the world. Um, so, like, I don't know. The other way of visualizing is that you're you're on the carousel and you're at the at the very outs, uh, you know, really mm -hmm. at the edge of it, and it's moving really fast. And then you're gauging from the wind how fast you're moving. And then through these grounding and so forth, you get to move into the circles. You're moving into the middle, and the carousel is still spinning the same way, but the wind is not going to be the right gauge for you anymore to assess mm -hmm. whether you are moving fast enough or not. Right. And I feel that's also like a challenge. It's been a challenge mm -hmm. for me to to see that I'm. It's that addiction we spoke again before we started recording, but but about the addiction to busyness. Like you're addicted to feeling the wind because it feels right. good. Right, right, right. And it it mean or you think it means something about your value mm -hmm. for your achievement, mm -hmm. but it might be different now. Yeah. yeah, especially on a Sunday afternoon when you're trying to spend it with your family. 
And here you can, you know, lift in that other piece of, of attachment, you know, which is also, of course, used a lot in spirituality and, and, and so forth. But it's like, if you're not attached <laughs> to the object that's spinning, if you can let go of it and allow it to spin mm-hmm. and, and feel comfortable in stepping into the center of the object and, and letting it spin around you without having to spin with it, what does that do for your recovery or for your... Um, state of being or your capacity to focus on other spinning objects that you are also part of. Right. Right. That's a really good point is when we ground, when we're in our own space, we can use metrics. We can use data to determine what's happening around us and how to relate to it. And that's a very, very effective use of a rational mind. And uh, it's a much better use than, self, uh, than self-doubt um, because we grow, we change. It's if, you know, our embodiment is a very dynamic experience. And when we have a particular set of, of um, we'll call it sensory metrics, you know, feeling the teeth of the wind, and that indicates something to us about our position or velocity in space or our, our value or achievement or whatever. And that when the values change, we need to be able to adjust. But in the ter- way I'm using the word grounding, the term of grounding is, is actually being in your own, in the meaning of your own life and your own the framework of your achievements and your intentions so that you're actually looking at um, a larger context than just how it feels. And it's very relational. It has to do with, you know, the world around the other, the other people involved. Ah, I haven't seen that really before, but it's then, and that's where, that's where you can weave in the piece of compassion and empathy, actually. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting fun <laughs> because they're all part of your system. Right. Right. We're tracking this relational experience of, of being in, in, the, in the world together. And yet, I mean, so another question that comes up and now it's, it's very, it's very tangible for me. Um, so if you are, It is that art of hosting piece, or at least it's that sort of authentic relating, I think, it's, that talks about mm-hmm. these different levels where we are, um, it, where it's possible for us to misunderstand each other. <laughs> um, and I'm still, I'm still in my own work, sometimes struggling with, what do you call it, like making it relevant to the person that I'm talking to. To, mm. to to sort of to um, to connect it to something that sparks the curiosity in a way that it's mm. not just words or concepts, but it's actually this tangibility. So we've been because we've been floating around now a little bit, and, and yet we're trying to ground it. Like we we planted these little sort of tadpoles of, of grounding throughout the conversation to to point to where it could be relevant, very tangibly relevant in in both building buildings and, but also leadership and 
negotiations or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But that to create that opening, that that first, either it's trust, you know, but it's it's hard to say just trust me because <laughs> how do you uh, how do you see that first piece like where's the um, how do you work with the where's, open where's the point? entry point entry point wow. yeah sure for me it's awareness in my understanding what i'm getting from from what you're speaking to right now is the doorway is awareness mm-hmm. as we become more aware of more in our field, um, a larger field of experience. It is, I mean, you could say that almost the definition of transformation is an increase in awareness. It's a fundamentally restructures, you know, our consciousness and who we are in our embodiment. And uh, there's power with it, with that. When we are more aware of a larger field of stakeholders in in a in an endeavor um a larger field of context a larger field of a market geographical market uh, a larger field of um, social engagement you know it's one thing to be aware of the people on your team but it's another thing to be aware of those around them and the influence they're having on each other and you know you don't necessarily have to hold all of that and memorize it and track it, but being able to perceive it is, I think, a tremendous asset. And as the door of that awareness opens, especially if it's intentional and it's a, it's a practice, um, then for me, there's a kind of, uh, it becomes a living thing. Whatever the endeavor is, it becomes a living thing. You know, a, coaching program you know maybe in working with a new client and the more you learn about each other and the more you um become you increase your awareness both of you around what who and what you are and what might be possible and what is difficult then there's a, a kind of a life that emerges of the shared endeavor mm. you know the music kind of writes itself at that point you know you have and you have a goal you certainly have the summit of the mountain that you're looking toward, but the path you take to get there and how many other peaks you, you hit along the way are, are in my experience, a very um, organic and spontaneous kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something around the, the when it comes to the awareness, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a way that I found aware, find awareness being portrayed as also an, um, or where it's connected very much to a need of interpreting, mm-hmm. mm. which is like part of my own journey has been to stop assuming motivations or, or stop assuming, you know, like what is the actual information to to dare again to to stop and to zoom in and to look at the actual information as closely as I can to what it is. And then from that point, like the breath and then in the pause to see what is triggered in me, what comes alive in me, like what are the stories that I'm trying to tell to make sense of. Yeah. Yeah. 
there's the perception and then there's the gap and then there's the story. Yeah. But if we live in the gap instead of living in the story, then um, there's a lot more reality available. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'm, it's a dangerous use of that word, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, there's more joy available. I mean, that's meditation. Thinking. 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 Ah, yeah. This is where I think a lot of people learning contemplative work in the business context. Um, find it difficult is that initial burst of awareness of learning meditation can be pretty uncomfortable. You can turn the lights on a big mess. And yeah, there's so open. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some pushback. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like you, when, when you start seeing some of the effects that your inherent patterns might or might not be having, or, or mm-hmm. you know, um, at least for me, as I was discovering how how what the consequences were for other people and for those around me, it really didn't rhyme with my identity of of a good, nice, decent human being, <laughs> and that that's it's a strong connection to shame. Mm-hmm. So it's it's shameful to to realize that you've hurt people through your unawareness. Yeah, and then that's where the compassion component comes in as well for me which is something i've been working with a lot like that to to start feeling myself that i am actually okay and that i am actually doing the best that i can and then realize that i'm going to keep falling off i'm going to keep thinking (laughs) it's not i'm not Mm -hmm. i'm not a i'm not a meditation master yet (laughs) still subject to capture Self, self-compassion. Yeah. As I like to say, um, self-abuse is not therapeutic. <laughs> no, you can't. It's hard to whip the donkey into submission. At least my donkey tends to get a lot more stubborn <laughs> to stop walking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there something else you want to bring in? It starts to feel like a nice kind of slowing down. Yeah. I'm feeling we had a nice wander through the park and a good drink. And I'm uh, delighted and uh, rejuvenated. Yeah, me too. I'm feeling a lot of vitality, a lot of flow. Mm-hmm. The body is awake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If people want to uh, work with you or find Mm -hmm. you online or interact with you, where would you point them? NovaEarthInstitute.com, which I'll send you the info for. You can post with this. Or LawrenceCamp.com, which is, you might say, my, my personal coaching, transformational work, consulting site. 
And then I offer the, also offer those services through the Nova, Nova Earth Institute, which is focused on the creativity as the, um, the vector for transmission, for transformation. Hmm. Ooh, that's another conversation that I think I might have to re-invite you with regards okay. to creativity. <laughs> we're not done. I have we're ideas. So done. No, we're not. <laughs> this will happen again. Thank you so much, Lawrence. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, for walking with me. This was wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you very much. It was uh, a delight and a treat. And I thank you for your generosity and your presence and your invitation. Thank you.